Also, like, I looked up a new number because last time we <laughs> So we're back Wait. on track. We're back on track with our numbers. What episode should is we- this? 28. But should we just address that it was wrong or just not talk about it and see if anyone says anything? Um, I feel like we could address it. We're on Zoom, so we may sound differently, depending on internet and quality of computer. And all the background noises. So today, haunted lighthouses. Did you change your lighthouse? I did. Is it in Michigan? actually, okay, I'm going to be honest. I think I did. I don't remember what I was going to do before. <laughs> but I found one that had a lot of, like, good background, like, history, and then it had good uh, nice. sightings, so. Nice. Is it in Michigan still? It is, yes. <gasps> Woo, thought, Michigan lighthouses. I, I honestly, I thought that was a theme. No, it's so. just lighthouses. Because <laughs> oh, I literally looked up haunted Michigan lighthouses. Oh, well, it's good to stay in Michigan. So, are you ready to hear what 28 stands for? <laughs> Not 27. <laughs> what happened to 27? We're actually on 28. We were wrong. And nobody and told us. It was... Wait, so did my joke just make sense or did I say that wrong? You said, what happened to 27? Yeah, like, isn't this supposed to be 27? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I was saying. <laughs> Kennedy, get my jokes. It's been a long day. It's only noon. You made me question. I was like, wait. Yeah. 27 was 26. And 26 was 25. And 25 was 24. And 24 was 23. Episode 28. (laughs) Episode 28. So, 28 is really applicable to what's going on right now, actually. Fun fact. Why does that always happen? I don't know, but these numbers are starting to freak me out. So, we might have to stop. It's, it can be, it's about being a leader, but can be a very lonely number. Oh. It represents business and independence, as well as self-determination, which you really need at this time. This is true. And it's about exploring new locations and methods, which if you're working from home. Yeah. See, I was going to say you shouldn't be exploring new locations, but. Yeah, no, I was. Yeah, I was thinking working from home, because a lot of people have to navigate that now. Yeah. These number things are getting too real for me. We might have to stop. Yeah. Yeah, last year it was just like, quit your podcast. Now it's like, super applicable to everything going on. I'm yeah. like, oh, I don't like it. It's like it knows us or something. The numbers, they know. They know. Well, today, <laughs> like we said, we're talking about haunted lighthouses and not on not intentionally but haunted michigan lighthouses yeah intentionally on my part because i thought that was the theme but unintentionally (laughs) on kennedy's part lighthouses are fun and we have a lot of them yes we do we're just so blessed once you can travel again travel to a haunted lighthouse near you i'm going to which one i'm gonna go to this one that i'm doing my story on Nice. Where is it? It's a surprise. 
Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> well, mine is in white. Is at Wayfish Point. <laughs> they're close to each other, not really, but mine's it's in Marquette. UP. Oh, okay. So Whitefish Point, which is located in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. For those of you who have never been to Michigan or have no idea what Michigan looks like, we look like <laughs> the state that's shaped like a hand, like someone slapped America. Mm-hmm. And then above that is another part of Michigan. There's two parts. Yeah. And the upper part has a lot of haunted land houses. Because <laughs> we were just so good. We, they we're like dibs. Part two. Like, you know what Michigan doesn't have enough of? Michigan. (laughs) More of that. About 11 miles north of Paradise, Michigan, and near Tequamanon Falls, which I'm told is not as good as Niagara Falls, but whatever. So, anyways, that's where Whitefish Point is. And it has the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum, as well as the Whitefish Point Bird Observatory. Because it's a priming bird area. Prime birding area. So if you're into birds. I'll definitely have to check it out then. So 17 miles, Whitefish Point, is the (laughs) Edmund Fitzgerald, where it wrecked. (laughs) I don't know why I said it like that. The Edmund Fitzgerald? No. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Right? It sank in 1975. Any vessel entering or leaving Lake Superior, which is a big-ass lake, in Michigan, <laughs> has to go through Whitefish Point. And it is also the most dangerous shipping area in all five of the Great Lakes. And it's known as the graveyard of the Great Lakes because of how dangerous it is. At least 240 vessels have been wrecked in the 80-mile stretch. Say that, how many? Sorry. 240 vessels Wow. in the 80-mile my, stretch. Took my brain a second to register that. That's insane. So, like, every mile... There's three ships. I like to put that in perspective. Absolutely. And they're not little ships. These are big ships. I can't even imagine. I, I think I've said this before, but I remember when I first found out that like there were a lot of shipwrecks in the Great Lakes. <laughs> such, such an unbelievable, like I had never, ever thought about that. Yeah. And then one day he was just like, he like rattled off some number and I'm like, What? And he was like, yeah, this many people have died in Lake Michigan alone. And I'm like, what? What? Because you look at it, you're like, yeah, that's not that. People die. (laughs) They can be more powerful than the ocean. Yeah. People don't realize that. Yeah, exactly. And we have our own monsters here, just like the ocean. Yeah. Speaking of being super powerful like the ocean, the waves and storms have been comparable to ocean waves because of the winds on the open water. And they say that due to how the area is, it has the duration and force of hurricanes because there's a lot of rebound waves from being so small. Mm-hmm. So in 1905, the temperature dropped 12 below zero and a, an actual hurricane hit. 30 vessels were wrecked in the lake and some were literally just thrown out of the water. Which I know isn't funny, but imagine just <laughs> watching a, like a vessel, a giant boat just being flying out of the water. Yeah, that's um, nuts. So they've preserved some of the shipwrecks in the bay. If you are into diving and exploring, you can go check it out. Oh. I mean, I've never done it, but I've, like, been interested in doing that. So Whitefish Point was actually home to a U.S. Coast Guard station at one point, and it is the oldest operating light on Lake Superior. Some sources say that it's the oldest light period, but they a couple of other lighthouses opened up around the same time, so they don't really know for sure, but it's still operating unlike the other ones. 
And the only time that the light was known not to be shining is the night the Edmund Fitzgerald went down. Shame. All right. Ready to hear about some bullshit whitefish pulling? Yeah. Oh, quick fun fact. I went here when I was like six or something. I've been there several times, but I went there and like we were walking around and I thought I saw someone in the window of like one of the buildings and mm-hmm. I like didn't say anything because like, oh, whatever, it's probably a worker. And then I found out that that room was locked. Like no one's like goes in there. And no one in my family believes me that I saw someone. They're like, you're just saying that because they said it's haunted. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, so like, yeah. I haven't been, like, I haven't walked around like, since. I just so. didn't think it was something important to mention until yeah. they just gave me that information. Yeah, I'm not going to be like, do you all see that person up there? Like, what yeah. something to say. There that. was a psychic who visited the area at one point and said that there were 50 different spirits haunting the area. 50? 50. Wow. Which is a lot. But she didn't really list them or I couldn't find where she listed them. So I don't have all of them. <laughs> I got some of them. Uh, there's a young native American girl who's seen inside and outside of the museum in the gift shop and in the fog house, just chilling. Ooh. Most of these ghosts just seem like they're chilling. Like they don't, <laughs> they don't really seem. Those are the kind of ghosts you want, you know? Yeah. You don't want a vengeful guy. Uh, there's a native American woman who's seen walking the grounds. A young girl is seen in windows waving, and people have seen indentations on the furniture, like someone Ooh. sitting there. Yeah, I don't I like that. that. Disturbing. <laughs> There's also a young girl seen in, like, old-time clothes, and she's seen wandering around. Mm. There's a woman in an 1890s dress seen in the gallery, and she's often looking out on the lake, like, waiting for something. I wonder what she's waiting for. There's a ghost ship that's uh, seen with its sails out gliding along the lake, but then it will disappear. Oof. Which is, I've never seen that, which makes me mad. Like, because I, I go there all the time. I remember there was one time um, in Sutton's Bay, they have a, it's like a research ship, but it looks like a giant pirate ship. Ooh. Like, it's like super old school and has like cool. really big sails and it's fun yeah. like that. But there was one morning I woke up. And we're in, like, the bay, so it kind of, like, you see land, like, right here, but then, like, the horizon, like, you, it's just water, so you can't Mm -hmm. really see anything but, like, water and sky. Yeah. And I woke up one morning, and (laughs) that ship, it was super foggy, (laughs) and you could just see that ship, like, on the horizon. And I remember I took a bunch of videos and pictures, because I was like, that looks like a ghost ship. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. People have also seen a ship wrecking and then hearing people crying out during a storm. Like, there's something there, but there's never a ship wrecking. Oh. Yeah, that one's sad. People have heard the tip, you know, the usual voices, footsteps. Uh, Mm -hmm. People, locked doors will be open. They'll be like, oh, that's not fun. (laughs) Um, People have had, in an affectionate way, their hair pulled, faces touched, and arms grabbed. In an affectionate (laughs) way. (laughs) <laughs> they're like hey i'm talking to you pay attention yeah, I, I don't i still don't i still I don't understand pulling hair affectionately well but. i think it means just kind of like they're not like violently like they're not tugging on it yeah if you have a ponytail or a braid like kind of tugging on it like you know how kids do yeah so in one investigation a crew heard someone knocking on a car at like two in the morning like they were working on it but then their mm-hmm. car wouldn't start the next day Ooh, coincidence <laughs> i think, <laughs> I think not <laughs> Patrol services, when they're walking along the bay, obviously, like, bodies will roll up on shore after, like, incidents, like, crashes and stuff. 
Mm-hmm. So I think it happened typically back in the day. <laughs> um, I don't think. Today, it's you're not, like, on the beach. Is that, body is that a body? <laughs> <laughs> they just roll on the beach, like, every couple days. There's a body. <laughs> you're just, like, sun tanning, and, like, a dead guy just rolls up next to you. Is that Jimmy? But they, they, they used to bury them along the graves on the shoreline. Mm-hmm. Like, well, not shoreline, I guess, pretty far back. So they wouldn't, you know, <laughs> <laughs> But there was one story about the steamer John Owen that sank in 1919. And they mm-hmm. never found the ship. But that March, coastmen found a frozen body in the ice. And they identified it as William J. Riley. And the body was in excellent condition, except for two of his fingers were missing, which they think fell off when he was removed from the ice, like were chopped off on accident. Oh, okay, okay. Excellent condition, except for for some reason his left <laughs> ear was missing and two of his eyes, his eyes were both taken out. Um, Other than that, perfect. <laughs> perfect. I mean, pristine. Yeah, the m- most pristine condition a body could be in. I mean, it's like, what happened? Someone preserved this. Um, he was buried in a station cemetery and now three-fingered Riley is supposedly walking around looking for his fingers so they'll see like a shadow walking around in his form and they'll hear his footsteps what a what a sad thing you're like looking for your fingers just wandering (laughs) in an article by the Upper Peninsula Paranormal Research Society the author described the area. If anyone out there is trying to picture what this place looks like, if you go there at night, they describe the area as a good setting for an axe murder movie, which, if it's empty, it does kind of look like that. It's like, it sounds like a great place. Kind of like I'm picturing like one of those slasher style movies. I could right. totally picture it happening there. Maybe that'll so be the um, maybe that'll be the theme for the next American Horror Story. <laughs> Lighthouse. <laughs> So, uh, the Upper Peninsula Paranormal Research Society documented a woman's voice for about 10 seconds at 1 a.m. They couldn't make out what she was saying, just that they heard the voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, they captured a conversation between a man and a woman, but they couldn't decipher it. It was like hearing through a wall or something. Uh, they heard someone walking behind them. Like, it was a sound of someone walking through tall grass, like the movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the keeper's quarter, people report feelings of apprehension and sense like that they're not welcome there. Uh, They didn't Mm -hmm. capture anything in the room, but they say the longer they stayed in the area, the more they felt like something was pressuring them to leave until it got like really super intense. Uh, So I have two clips, one of them. Um, (laughs) We'll post them or post link something so that y'all can check them out. I think I said that the last time, but it just looks like light kind of. Yeah. It, it 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 looks like like a young child almost pacing for you mm-hmm. guys, but it like in a white nightgown or something. But it does look like a reflection. But like, what is it reflecting? It's it's not like conclusively a ghost or something. But it is pretty. And then also, it looks kind of freaky, but it also kind of looks like it could just be um, you know, sometimes like a, they have like random things in the water. Yeah. It's um, it's supposedly a ghost ship on Lake Superior, and it looks like something is kind of, like, appearing for a little bit. And they say it appeared for about, like, I don't know, like a minute or something, and then completely disappeared. But they say that it's probably the Granite Island Lighthouse, because that's, like, you can see that on a clear day. Um, I think mm-hmm. it kind of looks like um, a wizard standing there with his, like, staff. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, take it what you will. It could be a ghost, could be, you know, explained away. 
I also have the story of the SS Edmund Fitzgerald, also known as the Fitz, the Queen of the Great Lakes, the Toledo Express, or the Titanic of the Great Lakes. Wow. Bet you can see what, if I hadn't told you it sunk already, I bet you could guess. (laughs) So um, it was a freighter that sank on November 10th, 1975, and all 29 crew members passed away. It was the largest ship on the lakes, and it is still to this day the largest ship to have ever sunk on the Great Lakes. You've probably heard the song by Gordon Lightfoot. (laughs) If not, there's Um, a song. I have, for sure. I've heard that one. And um, I have a friend who plays it every time we go to the bar. Oh, man. It's not a good song, you guys. Just so you know. It's not a song you should be playing at the bar. It's about, you know, the death of almost 30 people. But yeah, so there is a song about it. The ship was caught in hurricane force winds with waves up to 35 feet high. I don't, I'm not good with feet, but that's got to be really high. That's like a two-story house. Yeah, at least. At least. I don't know how big houses are, but uh, yeah, because there's no way your ceilings are. <laughs> nope, I think standard is like eight. <laughs> So both the Edmund Fitzgerald and the SS uh, Arthur M. Anderson were caught in the storm. At 7.10 p.m., the Edmund Fitzgerald sank. The Edmund Fitzgerald had asked the other ship to watch out for them because they had radar failure, so they couldn't navigate it very well. At 3.30, Mm -hmm. the Edmund Fitzgerald said, Anderson, this is the Fitzgerald. I have a fence rail down, two vents lost or damaged, and a list. I'm checking down. Will you stay by me till I get to the whitefish? Or two whitefish. Later reported, I have a bad list, lost both radars, and am taking heavy seas over deck. One of the worst seas I've ever been in. Though no distress signals were sent out, the last message they ever sent from the Fitzgerald was, we're holding on our own, minutes, and then minutes later, the ship sank and no bodies were recovered. No bodies? No bodies. Nobody was recovered. They... Where they were had recovered debris, but um, the crew included captain, first, second, and third mates, five engineers, three wheelsmen, three oilers, a cook, a wiper, two maintenance, three watchmen, three deckhands, two porters, a cadet, and a steward. And yeah, no one was found. They didn't have a lot of um, vessels in the area to look respond to the disaster at the time, but the Coast mm-hmm. Guard asked the Anderson and commercial vessels to assist looking for the area, and it took a day to search. And that's when they found the debris. In 1994, the remains of a crew member wearing coveralls and a life jacket were found face up at the bottom of the lake near the ship. And they think that um, it was from that crash. And they determined that they were a, that the people had been aware that the ship was about to sink and that there was structural failure. Wait, you said people were aware? Yeah, the people on the ship knew that basically it was probably going to sink or that it was close to sinking. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, one member of the ship actually wasn't supposed to be on the ship. He was covering for someone who had bleeding ulcers. Bad uh, luck. Dur- yeah, so during the search, divers obviously found the wreckage, but they still are unable to draw conclusions of what actually happened. It could have been a variety of things or a combination of them, and I'm going to tell you what the theories are. Number one, extreme weather. So with wind speeds up to 50 miles per hour, and gusts up to 86 miles per hour. It's intense. Holy crap, um, yeah. 
in waves that were recorded between 19 and 46 feet. Uh, they think that, you know, that probably affected it. Uh, there's also there's a phenomenon on, on Lake Superior where three waves, which are third larger than normal waves on the lake, that um, are called the sisters. So the first one comes and floods the boat, but before you're able to completely drain it, the second one comes, and the third hits again before you can drain that. So um, it just keeps adding too much water. They think it could have been because of ineffective hatch closers. So they think that flooding occurred gradually, and then the ship just sank without warning during the ship or the storm. They think shoaling could have happened. They didn't know it at the time, but the ship possibly could have been grounded on a reef in the area. Um, And the radio not being available, there's just nothing they could have done. Because in 1976, they found an unknown shoal that ran in the area that the ships were traveling together. And then they also could have been structural failure uh, because the large waves just kept hitting this weakened structure, which possibly happened before they were even, you know, in the area, um, could have been like caused way before they were even in Lake Superior, caused stress fractures in the hull. They think something could have broken loose on deck and led to the vents and tanks flooding uh, before uh, leading the water into the cargo hold. They think the weather forecasting had been wrong. And so it just put, they thought that they were in a good area, but they were in the worst possible spot during the storm and navigational charts weren't accurate and neither was, they didn't have the instruments to just monitor the area. So they just were screwed. Or my favorite theory. Mm -hmm. I got to remember how to pronounce this. Uh, the Mishibishu, the M I S I B I J W, Mishibishu. It is an under. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong to our Ojibwe speakers. The it's an underwater panther from folklore in Ojibwe culture that is the master of all water creatures, including snakes. That's definitely my favorite theory, too. That's why I did not know that that existed. Like, I didn't either. It's basically our Loch Ness Monster. But now it freaks me out just a little bit. Is it just in the in Lake Superior? I think so. There's other folklore creatures in the other lakes. So we have, like, oh. multiple sea creatures. <laughs> I'm like, why is nobody talking about this? I'm never going back. <laughs> you're like, you're like, never touch the water. You're like, uh-uh, uh-uh. There is the master of all water creatures here. (laughs) So one of the lifeboats from the Fitzgerald is actually on display at Valley Camp Museum, the Valley Camp Museum ship. They had an anchor that was recovered. And on August 8th, 2007, they believe they found a life ring from the ship on the Keweenaw Peninsula. Oh, yeah. The ship bell was recovered on July 4th, 1995. And they made a replica of it, engraved it with, and engraved it with the names of the soldiers who, or sailors who had lost their lives. And it's now on display at the Great Lakes Shipwreck in Whitefish, or museum in Whitefish. Mm-hmm. And just a few ghosts. The Fitzgerald was seen 10 years after it sank, sailing on the water one foggy night. Like, people reported seeing this. By who? What? <laughs> By who? <laughs> who? What's their name? Give me their yeah. names. <laughs> And how many of them? Was this this one guy who had been drinking that night? People have said that when they're viewing the recovered lifeboat or items from the boat, they um, 
feel really lightheaded and anxious. They're afraid. And people have been known to faint while viewing it. And they say people will hear voices calling for help and see random apparitions. They were reading the names of those who had passed on the Fitzgerald and the EMF detectors just started spiking when they did this. Mm -hmm. And orbs have been seen in photos of the shipwreck, like underwater when they take pictures. They just look like little baby jellyfish. In, like, (laughs) Superior? You never know. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but yeah, they say that this has happened several times, like orbs of light disappear. Um, And there's, like, we'll post it, but it's, like, two orbs of light by the shipwreck, which is kind of interesting. Could be magical jellyfish, who knows? Yeah, some species we haven't discovered yet. (laughs) <laughs> it's controlled, obviously, by the underwater panther. Yeah, it's all related. But that is the white. That's about uh, the Whitefish Point graveyard of the Great Lakes, as well as the Edmund Fitzgerald. Very fascinating. We're yeah, definitely I have learned to go check it out. researching this. I learned that I'm fascinated with shipwrecks. Like they fascinate me now. So. Yeah, I would love to go do like a or like they do like the glass. They do, like, glass-bottom boat tours. Oh, yeah. You can go see shipwrecks. I think that would be really neat. So cool. Okay, so I'm doing the Big Bay Point Lighthouse. All right. Have you heard of it? I have. I don't know anything about okay. it. Um, I don't know if I saw it when I was researching or if I've heard of it because I'm from Michigan. In there. <laughs> Something. Well, You're like I. I may have been there. <laughs> it is located 25 miles northwest of Marquette in the UP. Whoop whoop. Whoop. So what? That's probably like a couple hours from yours. From, Marquette. From Whitefish. Uh, maybe I want to say Marquette's what an hour from Paradise. That's what I would think. Or I would think like maybe yeah, an hour, hour and a hour, half. Hour and a half. Oh, oh, never mind. I was thinking of Newberry when I said hour. That's why. <laughs> oh. It's two hours, two and a half hours from Paradise to Marquette. Oh, okay, okay. I was going to say, wow, okay, that seems like a good, I think that's a good answer that we can settle on. Alrighty, so not too mm-hmm. far. Yeah, you could totally do a day trip. Yeah. So it opened in August of 1896, and it operated with an active keeper until 1941 when it was automated. Um, and then today, it operates as a bed and breakfast, actually. Oh, that's cool. That's fun. We could stay there. Yeah, I know. That's what I want to do. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so, <laughs> a plan is coming together. Yes. So, its first keep was Harry William Pryor. I think he only served five years, it said, but it was a ride. <laughs> he was said to have managed with an iron fist. He had very high standards, I would say. Okay. And he had a lot of trouble keeping qualified assistance. Probably because he was an asshole. So I don't know that it was, I think he just had really high standards and nobody ever met those. Oh, okay. But he was very meticulous in keeping logs. Ooh, nice. Of like things that would happen. And so he wrote a lot of, a lot about his several quote unquote useless assistants. (laughs) <laughs> and if you have a chance to like look up some of them, they were pretty funny. Oh my god, um, I'm totally going to. You know I am. <laughs> but I do have a little little snippet of one. I'm so ready. 
or a few of them, I guess, but they were all kind of related to the same story. So he writes, as my assistant objects to working during the closed season, I have written to the inspector to get his opinion on the matter. This was on December 27th, 1897. <laughs> um, followed by, my assistant claims now that he is unable to work as he has a lame back. <laughs> and then in mid-February, his you can tell like his frustration is growing as he says, Mr. Heater arrived from Marquette at 6 p.m. and walked an entire distance of 33 miles in 12 hours, including two rest stops over an hour each. Pretty good for a lame man. So petty. Yeah, he does not believe it. Oh, he's he's done. He's like, you know what? I'm fed up. So there's actually a lot of entrants like that, which they were pretty interesting. So I got this article from mynorth.com, and um, I think it was actually reprinted from a book called Michigan's Haunted Lighthouses that was okay. written by Diana Stamfler. I've heard of it, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so she includes a bunch of snippets from his logs, and they were okay. fascinating. Um, so eventually, like, he became really fed up with all of his assistants, and he appointed <laughs> his 19-year-old son, George, as his new assistant. Ooh. Um, they worked side by side for 15 months until mid-April 1901. George fell on the steps of the crib. I'm not sure. I was going to look that up, actually. Oh, it says a crib lighthouse is a type of lighthouse whose structure rests on a concrete or masonry foundation supported with wooden beams. The name crib refers to the wooden crib pier style of construction, which was used as a foundation for lighthouses. Okay. All right, he fell somewhere, okay, on some steps. <laughs> he fell on uh, some steps, I relate. Yeah, and it, basically it was uh, pretty gnarly. It cut flesh down to the under his shin bone. <gasps> yeah, he was admitted to the hospital for treatment, and all throughout late spring, early summer, he ended up battling gangrene, which eventually ate away at the tissue in his leg and eventually took his life. <gasps> That sucks. Yeah. Um, And following the death of his son, Pryor slipped into a severe depression. Mm -hmm. And June 28th, he was rumored to have left and disappeared into the woods. There were, like, some searches that were conducted. He just ran out into the woods. He's like, peace. Yeah. Okay. I didn't process that at first. He's like, you know what? They just never saw him again. Oh, so, I was like, does life ever get you so hard you just run into the woods and disappear forever? It was rumored that he had just gone into the woods, but they're not really sure. But there were a lot of searches that turned up nothing. Ooh. And that autumn, his wife and children left to live in Marquette. He left I'm his like, wife and other children? I forgot yet. Which I'm like... But, like, they up and left, like, they couldn't find him, and they were just like, you know what, we're gonna go live in Marquette. I like how this guy was, like, this one son was his, obviously his favorite. He's like, can't do it anymore. Bye. And then his wife and kids were like, you know what, like you. We'll go live in Marquette. I love it. But following the, following November, a hunter had found a skeleton dangling by a rope from a tree limb. Oh! South of the lighthouse. That's terrifying. Speculated that that was prior the remnants, there was, like, remnants of a keeper's uniform, and then a few tufts of red hair, which matched Pryor's description, <sighs> so they believe he was so upset that he committed suicide. Oh my, oh my gosh, that's intense. Yeah. 
But that's not the only kind of tragedy that has surrounded the lighthouse. Um, in 1941, when the lighthouse was automated, um, like many other Great Lakes lights, it was rented out to the U.S. Army and National Guard for training purposes, which I'm not sure I really knew. So I found that kind of interesting. And during the 50s, there were soldiers that camped out in the woods to the west of the lighthouse while they underwent, um, it was called like anti-aircraft artillery training. Okay. Not totally sure what all that entails, but I'm assuming something to do with shooting (laughs) aircrafts since it's anti-aircraft. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe let's not put that in there because I don't know what I'm talking about. Love this Uh, train of thought you're having. I mean, what else could it be, though? <laughs> I don't know. It's just somebody like, maybe they just shoot airplanes. Yeah, when I heard anti-aircraft, I thought maybe, like, any enemy planes they see, they're the ones shooting it. I don't know. <laughs> Very fascinating, anyway. Some kind of shooting. I like how you didn't look <laughs> it up, either. You're just like, must be that. <laughs> Basically, there were people there. Well, here, let me look it up. Especially of a gun or missile used to attack enemy aircraft. So look at that. I'm just really smart. So I'm just so smart, like other people can't even handle it. <laughs> As I was saying, they would camp out there. And in 1952, 38-year-old Lieutenant Coleman Peterson was temporarily stationed there um, to do some artillery, some anti-aircraft artillery training. But while in town... At the Lumberjack Tavern, which I believe is still in operation. I saw. Yeah. Um, He shot and killed the owner, Maurice Mike Chenoweth, um, because he believed that he raped his wife. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so this, like, it's still, it doesn't say what the actual town is. So I don't know if, like, the town is Marquette. But, yeah, the the location where they had stayed. It's got to be close. It was, well, where they had stayed in the woods was right next to the lighthouse, so. But anyway, he was charged with murder, but he was actually found not guilty by reason of insanity. Was he insane? He had a valid reason, at least he thought he did. I feel like that's not an insanity you know what I mean? To have a reason to kill someone is not insane. Right, like he believes... I call that motivated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're not synonymous in my book, but you know. We would all do it if we could. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm insane because I wanted to kill him. Yeah, he, but that's not a good defense. <laughs> he believed, already know that. He believed the guy freaking raped his wife. So that's just <laughs> like... <laughs> If you believed that, that makes sense that you'd want to kill them. That's not insanity to me. (laughs) There's a logical train of thought here. Oh, my God. It said eventually it became a bread and breakfast. I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure exactly when, what year that actually took place. But the lighthouse was purchased by Norman Buck. Scott Shell and his wife Marilyn. Like um, his name. And they were the ones that turned it into the bed and breakfast. So oh, okay. 
their ownership of the lighthouse was when the first reports of ghost tales started. So we're going to get into some ghosties. That's why we're all here. Yes, the real reason. So October 30th of 1989 in the Green Bay Press Gazette was the first like article referencing some of the first sightings. Some of the first sightings occurred shortly after the inn opened by two guests who claimed to have seen a spirit walking around the lighthouse in a in U.S. life-saving service uniform. Ooh. Yeah, just kind of walking around, as you would say, chillin'. Chillaxin' real cool. Yeah, doesn't sound like he was causing any issues, just kind of there. <laughs> just minding my own business, don't mind me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this article also referenced some unexplained banging, running water in the basement shower, and other phenomena Gatchel says that the ghost of the keeper would wake him up to go fishing every morning. And he basically said, like, he didn't want to make him mad, so he just complied. <laughs> I'm going to be a ghost. I'm going to wake people up in the middle of the night and like, be like, shut, shut, shut. Yeah, I'm just like... The ghost made me do it, officer. <laughs> I know. I know, that's his excuse. His wife is like, why do you leave all the time? And he's like, honey, I have to make the ghost. I have to fish. He the wants to fish. Wants to Are you going to tell him no? Or are you going to yes. tell him no? <laughs> That's what everyone's excuse should be. <laughs> like your him. wife is upset. <laughs> your like husband or, or wife is upset because you're, um, you know, playing video games or you're like. I just want to say that guy was totally having an affair. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or no, I just feel like he probably was fishing. But, like, his wife was getting pissed off because he was gone all the time, and he's like, honey, I have to be. I have to fish with the ghost, man. I can't. I can't upset him. So, it was another story of an Anne and Dennis Kirby who spent their honeymoon, yeah, who spent their honeymoon there in the summer of 1990. Uh, The very first night, they recall hearing something, it said, I think it said, like, ping, ping, pinging. Okay. I don't know why. I don't know why. Uh, but okay. Think of that noise, I guess. Down the stairs. They said Ooh. as if someone threw a marble down them. Ooh. You know, Ooh. and then you think about it like ping, ping. Yeah, yeah it like, makes more sense now that I know the concept. Yeah, exactly. But the next morning, they find on the bedside table in a small ashtray a single marble. That I don't like it. There the day before. I don't like it. Yeah. So that was a little weird. Um, And in March... 1992, John Gale and Linda and Jeff Gamble become the next owners of the light, purchasing it from the Gottschalls when they retired. And on February 11th, 1996, there was an article in the Star Tribune out of Minneapolis where Linda had admitted that she had heard, she had heard him once before. So I'm assuming prior. Um, And she admitted that she even had a conversation with him. Um, and then in November, oh, but she had, I think she had also said something about, she had had a conversation with him, but she thought that he was gone. Like, like she talked to him and then he left? Yeah, like, she had only really experienced that, and then she didn't experience anything afterwards. Apparently, I was not interested, because he never showed up again. I was sad. (laughs) But then in, uh, 2007, November of 2007, Linda had told a travel writer for the Twin Cities Pioneer Press 
that one night she was startled awake by the sound of a bunch of, a bunch of slamming cupboards cupboards in the kitchen. I thought you said of munching, like somebody was eating chips next to her. He was startled awake by <laughs> the sound of a munching. No, or there's uh, just a floating by, bag of Doritos. <laughs> she was awakened by slamming cupboards in the kitchen, and she had thought it was just like a drunk returning from the tavern. Because this is a bed and breakfast, you know. Right, I forgot, yeah. Um, <laughs> so she thought it was just, like, a drunk returning from the tavern, <laughs> but she stormed up there to, like, yell at them, yeah. only to find no one there. Ooh. Little eerie. And, yeah, so there's been more than one story that accounts for a tall, red-headed man wearing late 1800s uniform. I don't like it. Or walking around the grounds. So <sighs> I think our man's is just hanging out there. Just chilling. Uh, he, he really is. But also, there's been stories, a lot of stories of doors and windows opening and closing on their own, lights mm-hmm. turning on and off by themselves, and the typical disembodied footstep. <laughs> the usual. <laughs> the usual. <laughs> One overnight guest had reported seeing the reflection of a man wearing a keeper's hat standing behind her in the mirror. I hate mirror images. I hate yeah. them. I don't like Tyre it. was like, I'm a freak this- Switch out a little bit. And then there's also been countless stories that can tie the ghosts to crew members who were lost at sea in in nearby shipwrecks. Yeah. And there was even one there was like a ghost of a woman that they believe was a woman who was reportedly murdered there when it was abandoned in the fifties. Yeah, so there's just a lot of tragedy that uh but I did I do think in there they mentioned that they couldn't in- find any historical accounts of a murder actually happening there in the 50s. Yeah. But it's weird that there's like these, these are like violent things happening, like very tragic, very violent. But like it doesn't seem yeah. like there's violent things going on haunting wise. Like typically I feel like right. these are like, correlated. It's, it's just, of, like we're just right. here, but <laughs> we're not doing anything about it. Just, just throwing some marbles down the stairs and opening your window. I mean, yeah, it's like you'd think someone would be angry, but they're just like, nah, it happened. That is just like, that feels like just such an upper, a youper thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. It happened. We're here. <laughs> Y'all want to play euchre? <laughs> right. So in May of 2018, Nick Korstad, I think, um, stepped into the keeper role and still continues to own the lighthouse today, which. In the bed and breakfast, or whatever, sorry. And he runs yeah. that. And when asked if he had experienced anything yet, he said that he hadn't, but given the stories and the history, he didn't think it would be long before he would. Ooh. Uh, I like that article, he believes it. Yeah, this article was written in 2019, so it's not oh. like he's been there very long. Yeah. Because usually it's like, it's not real. I've never seen anything. Right. You know? Like, I like that he's like, oh. it's going to happen. That'd be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's like going to happen. When we went to the hospital, the Traverse City State Hospital, and the guy was like, yeah, there's nothing here. I was like, mm-hmm. bruh, I'm on a ghost tour. <laughs> Just kidding. What was a ghost tour? But we're on a tour, tour at night. You would think, I want to see some ghosties. Yeah, you'd think he'd be paid to at least, like, make up some bullshit. Yeah. Well, they are two things. He did tell a couple ghost stories, which was cool, mm-hmm. but they, they're they trying to, like, change the image of the stay home yeah, so they're not creepy. Yeah. So they're probably like, do not talk about ghosts, even if you've seen them. So lame, though. I know. Embrace it, man. But 
yeah, so that's the, the story of the Big Bay Point Lighthouse. I like it. I dig it. Fascinating. I'm glad I found one with some more history and yeah. stories. Because the one I was going to do before was really neat, but it didn't have much to it. Love uh-huh. a good lighthouse. Okay. Gotta get some gotta get some food in my belly. I'm really hungry. Oh, now. okay. Um, well that was Lighthouses, episode twenty-eight. <laughs> yes. Not- Hope you guys liked it. Hope you're inspired to come see Michigan and some of our other many, many lighthouses, both haunted and not haunted, because there yeah. are a ton of lighthouses here. And if if this week's stories didn't uh entice you. Next week's won't either. <laughs> Oh, it's next, week's, next week's will. So. <laughs> you want to go somewhere when there's a bunch of murders in there? Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> go see our website. Yeah. Instead of sleeping podcast.wordpress.com. Email us instead of sleeping podcast at gmail.com. We love emails and Thank recommendations. <laughs> um, shout out to all of our people in India listening. <laughs> you guys are great. Yeah. <laughs> just, we just saw a surge. That's cool. We love all of our listeners, no matter where you're at. We do. Go follow our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, some kind of variant of Instead of Sleeping Podcast, uh, which you can find on our website. There's links and our handles. Mm-hmm. Look mm-hmm. at I sound so tech savvy. Like, I know about social media. <laughs> you did build the whole website, so. I did. It was pretty you easy. You are the producer of our <laughs> podcast. There you go. I feel like I'm missing something. I don't know. Uh, Contact us. Give us a rating. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We wish you nothing but the best in these upcoming weeks and months. Um, Yeah. Thanks for listening to Instead of Sleeping. Bye. Bye.